Hello, I'm Calvin, and today I'll be reading the scripture for you. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the state of Haman, arch enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king because Esther has explained their relationship. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. Esther appointed Mordecai over Haman to stay. Mordecai walked out of the king's presence wearing a royal robe of violet and white, a huge gold crown, and a purple cape of fine linen. The city of Susa exploded with joy. For Jews, it was all good time and laughter, and they celebrated they were honored. It was that way all over the country, in every province, every city where the king's bulletin was posted. The Jews took the streets in celebration, cheering and feasting. Not only that, but many non-Jews became Jews. Now it was dangerous not to be Jew. Can we give Calvin a hand for reading the scriptures? Good job. I do this every week. You can be scary to look at it. All right, two quick words here. Let me start with the parents because you guys have the most anxiety. I am not getting ready to preach 35 minutes. It's going to be about 15 to 17. Kids, also, elementary kids, look at me in the eyes. This is not a sermon for your parents and you're just sitting in the room. This is for you. We're going to talk about how uh, God wants you to live on the playground during recess at school and in your home. So this is for everybody. But also, as you keep your clipboard, I want you to know that it has become very offensive, some of the pictures you guys are drawing of me. My head is not nearly as big, and it is not to scale in your drawing. So if we could have more life-size appropriate drawings of my head today, that would be great. I would love to see your notes after church. 1.35 billion hours. That's the number of hours Americans spent watching season four of Stranger Things on Netflix in its first four weeks on the platform. All right, clearly I need to make a qualification here. Elementary kids in the room, this is not a show for you, right? Until Bluey makes Stranger Things 4, don't be asking your parents to watch it, all right? Um, if you haven't watched the series, you've probably heard about it or seen teenagers like my daughter wearing their Scoops Ahoy t-shirts because it's a popular thing in the TV show. But Stranger Things is a sci-fi drama. It's set in the 1980s in the fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana. Uh, these supernatural paranormal things begin to affect life in the town. And another dimension is found that becomes known as the upside-down world. In Stranger Things, the upside-down world is a frightening, evil reality that upends our world or the world of the people in the TV show. Now, here's the thing. What does that have to do with anything? From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is telling a story of an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that exists in all, that's an alternative kingdom to the one that we live in here in this world. But instead of being a scary, frightening kingdom that threatens, this kingdom is built on beauty goodness, peace, and justice, and it upends a world that is marred by brokenness, selfishness, war, and evil. Now, I want you to think about the world you live in. 
Uh, I want you to think about your neighborhood. I want you to think about your jobs. I want to think about your schools. Think about your soccer teams. How does your world work? How does your school work? How does your basketball team work? How does the market in your industry work? How does your neighborhood's Facebook page work? How does our government and our media work? What is celebrated? What prevails? In my world, if it's like yours, it probably goes something like this. Powerful people are exalted. Whoever is first is first. You become the leader by climbing your way to the top, sometimes climbing on on top of people. Uh, The end justifies the mean. Self-fulfillment is the path to freedom. Revenge is how you deal with your enemies. It's the big stuff in life that really matters. Cool kids are treated one way. Not-so-cool kids are treated another way. The best player at recess, recess always gets picked first. Everyone wants to sit next to the smart and pretty kids at school. You get rich by what you keep. You become strong by eliminating your weaknesses. Suffering is to be avoided at all costs. And success in life is finding a way to move from being a servant and lowly to being on top as the king. Did I get it kind of close? Is that kind of how it works in your world? That is what it looks like in our world. And the story of Esther, which we looked at, uh, looked at for several weeks, including last week, uh, we see how the story of Esther uses these storytelling techniques to not just tell a story, but to make a point and teach us a lesson. Last week, we, taught, we showed how this storytelling, I'm going to learn to talk here before the end of the service, time change Sunday, this storytelling technique shows how God reverses things, right? So we talked about the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph, coat of many colors, all of that. His brothers hate him. They sell him as a slave. But Joseph becomes the one who actually saves the world, creates a plan to avert famine. And when his brothers come, instead of getting revenge on them, he blesses them and forgives them. Moses, he's a little Hebrew boy. And when Pharaoh wants to eliminate all the Hebrew boys, his mom puts him in a river, and he floats down the river, and of course, it's Pharaoh's daughter who finds him. Moses grows up as the prince of Egypt, like we know in the movie, and then one day, God actually uses him to bring the people of Israel out of Exodus, uh, through the Exodus, out of Egypt. Uh, Esther and Mordecai last week, in in the story of um, uh, Esther, they are in danger of death, but in a sudden reversal, they're not only rescued, they're elevated, but while the, the... Esther and Mordecai are elevated. Haman and the king eventually uh, suffer. Mordecai even dies the way Mordecai was supposed to die. And then we looked briefly yesterday, or last week, at Jesus the carpenter. Jesus tells a bunch of professional fishermen how to fish. And this was his way of inviting them to apprentice under him. He's the master rabbi who would also be their Messiah. But there's more to it. I'm telling you that Esther is also a vision of the upside-down kingdom of God. From our perspective, from the way we see the world, everything about God's kingdom is upside-down. And this is shown all the way through the Scripture. Let me briefly give you a few examples. In Genesis, it's the small, unimpressive nation of Israel that God chooses to use as his centerpiece of his redemptive work. Now, when God is ready to move his people to the promised land, 
and, and mighty Jericho is in the way, what kind of person would he use to be the archetype, the, the, the person who would rescue them and infiltrate Jericho and bring the walls down? Would he use like a Jack Ryan spy? Would he use a biblical Marvel-type superhero? No. What if I told you the hero, nay, the heroine, was a Canaanite woman named Rabbi? And since the elementary kids are in the room today, we won't talk about her profession, but she was an unlikely candidate to be used to rescue God's people. For seven years, the Israelites lived under the plundering and oppressive regime of the Midianites. They were Israel's enemy. They were violent, and they were terrible people to Israel. Who could possibly arise to defeat their army with 180,000 people? Maybe a trembling, scared young man who was hiding in a wine press, right? Gideon said, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my family. In other words, I am the least likely candidate. I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm the youngest person, but I will be with you, the Lord said. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Now, surely this is the exception to the rule, right? Maybe the most famous story in the Old Testament, right? David and? All right. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a, what's the word there, kids? Help me. Can you read it? He was just a what? He was young. He was a youth, right? He was a little guy. He was a small guy. He was not a seasoned veteran of war. There's no way this guy is going to be a threat to the most fearsome warrior in the land, right? He said to David, am I a dog, which was like the greatest insult you could give back in that time, that you would come to me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. He was very offensive. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of ranks of Israel. You, you have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I will strike you down. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. And when the Philistines started <clears throat> forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone, stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. And that is just scratching the surface of the whole Bible. And so when we come to the story of Esther, we don't just see an example of this, but this is the whole story, the upside-down kingdom of God, right? The rich and the powerful, Haman and Xerxes, they're brought low. The lowly and weak, Mordecai and Esther, are elevated. Not only are they elevated, but they rescue. They are the instruments of God's divine rescue for the Jewish people. Those who self-protect, and scheme are left out and suffer harm. Think about Haman. 
those who self-sacrifice for the good of others. Esther, if I perish, I perish. Whatever it takes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Those who self-sacrifice reap the reward. In Esther, comfort, riches, and power As far as Xerxes and Haman, these are portrayed as good things. This is what you should chase after, and our culture is no different. Xerxes was indulgent. He was a partier. He was always abusing alcohol. Haman always wanted more. He never had enough, and it ended to both of them. Both of them ended up empty and eventually in death. Suffering and pain are bad. And they should be avoided. That's the message from the Persians in Esther. And that's what our culture believes. That anything that makes us feel bad, anything that causes suffering, we want to avoid it. But as my friend Lloyd shared with me as we were talking about this passage, there is such a thing as a eucatastrophe, right? That's a word from Tolkien. And the word you is uh, where we get the word good and catastrophe for Catastrophe means unraveling, so together it means there is a good unraveling. There is a sense when our life can fall apart and the things that we're familiar with can be stripped away, and that is for our good, that sometimes hardship, suffering, pain, difficulty, disappointment, getting cut from the team, losing the job, experiencing sickness, that God can use all of those things for our good. This is the upside-down kingdom of God. Years later... Jesus would preach his first publicly recorded sermon. And I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Sermon on the Mount, and so I'm going to use it today. This is the opening lines of Jesus' first sermon. Listen to this. So when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, it's ironic, when the crowds got big, Jesus tried to make them smaller. He climbed on a hillside, and those who apprenticed to him, the committed, they climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. Listen to this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. That's upside down, right? You're blessed... When you feel what you've lost most dear to you. That's not the way we feel, but right? Upside down kingdom, because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Many of you have lived long enough to know to have something that you thought was so valuable stripped away, only to find the embrace of Christ be greater than you ever imagined. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought, right? It's the upside down world. We don't strive to accomplish, to achieve, and to have value. We discover it has been given to us by Jesus. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food, spiritual food and drink, and then the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care, and at the moment of being careful, full of cares, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place 
in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can even be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. It's the upside-down kingdom. And Jesus, later on, would go on to say this. Jesus called his disciples over and he said to them, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They, they take their power, they take their influence, they take their position, and they lord it over the people they're in charge of. They're big and in charge, they're powerful, and those who are in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, upside down kingdom, whoever wants to be great among you will be my, what's the word? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Thank you, Jesus. Kids ministry teachers are doing great. Even Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A few months ago, we gave a definition to what it meant to apprentice under Jesus, to be his disciples. Here's your big note piece, kids. What it means to be a disciple is that we be with Jesus. And the more we're with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we do the things Jesus did. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be an apprentice. And Esther gives us two paths. Gives us the path that is the kingdom of man. We can live like Xerxes and Haman and like almost all of our broader culture lives. Or we can choose the path of the upside down kingdom. That's the path of Esther and Mordecai. We can imitate Xerxes and Haman and chase after everything that the world says is going to make us happy. It's going to make us safe. And hope that what this world says will make us happy and safe will be true. That our culture's gods, fame, money, power, being right, being cool, that those gods will keep their promises. Or we can imitate Esther and Mordecai and live like Jesus, trusting that God will keep his promises. Listen to the last or the first verse of Esther chapter 9. The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the very same day that the Jews were supposed to be killed in a genocide, the opposite happens. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. There is a way to live that is so counterculture and so different than what we experience in this world. We have been invited to the upside-down kingdom. It's the way of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, 
this afternoon in our houses, in our homes, at lunch, uh, on spring break, when we go back to school, when we head back to the office, when we engage our spouse, our friends, when we talk to the clerk or the cashier that we encounter this week. Transform us in such a way that we engage these people as friends, as neighbors, as people you love. And may they encounter us, whether they can give this name or not, as people who apprentice with Jesus. Amen. All right. It's been good seeing you. Have a great week. Kids, I'd love to see your notes especially if you have appropriate-sized versions of my head on them. God bless. Grace and peace.